the Bible has more verses on money and possessions than any other topic? Actually, over 2,300. There is a deep connection between how we think, treat, and deal with money to our own spiritual lives. 2300 Reasons Why is a podcast designed to be a biblical pursuit of money so that we have a better understanding of how it can be used to make a bigger kingdom impact. Join Austin Tomes, wealth advisor and certified financial planner at Passage Wealth, as he explores various topics and scripture verses as it relates to biblical financial truth. Listen as Austin interviews pastors, professors, authors, business owners, and more as they share a deeper understanding of God's Word and their personal experiences when it comes to money. He will also provide financial tips, insights, and education as it relates to assisting you on your financial journey. And remember, if Jesus spoke and taught on money so much, so should we. Hello, everyone, wherever you are, however you're listening, thank you for making 2300 Reasons Why a part of your routine. I'm your host, Austin Tomes, wealth advisor and certified financial planner at Passage Wealth. And again, truly thankful for whether you're in the car, working out, doing chores at home, whatever it might be. Uh, If you're sitting at work and should be working, but you're listening to this, just kidding. But thank you for making this a part of your your journey here. I do want to quickly say thank you to Bot Radio Network. I like to give them a shout out every couple episodes. Bot Radio Network in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I'm at their studio recording this, and they do a great job of recording it, marketing it, editing it, producing it for me, all those things for us at Passage Wealth. And we're very thankful for that. And you can find out more about them just Googling Bot Radio Network and all the great stuff they have going on. I have Mike Stetzel and Brian Stein on today for part two, and they are with Full Strength Network, have been good friends of mine over the last couple of years. But if you listen to part one, you'll learn more about who they are, the transition that they made to get to Full Strength Network. And we also talked about when it comes to money in the church, whether it's the church staff and pastors and how that resonates with the church body and why it's a struggle to talk about it, and then also ways that maybe we can overcome that, whether it's by providing more resources, being more educated, and taking the time to talk through that a little bit more. So today we're going to pick up more of a traditional episode here with Mike and Brian as we dive into some scripture verses when it comes to money, wealth, and possessions, get into that a little bit more, and then provide some stories and a challenge. So as we get in, first question I always like to ask people just interesting to hear their take on things. But Brian, I'll just start with you. When you hear that in the Bible, Jesus spoke and taught on money more than any other topic, what thoughts do you have when you hear that? We talked about stumbling blocks in the last episode. Mm -hmm. And so we'll just pick that theme right back up in this episode. But I think Jesus recognized a stumbling block that money can be anything that separates you from following Christ fully, sin, anything that can lead to sin is something that Jesus is very serious about. I mentioned in the previous episode, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, which comes from 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Money can certainly feed the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Money can buy the world. But Jesus said, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So Jesus was serious about anything that can lead to sin and death. And the amount of times he mentioned something should warn us to watch out for that particular thing. As Mike mentioned in the previous episode of stopping, like when we feel like we're going down this path of these stumbling blocks and 
to stop, but also then when it comes to the word of, man, this is being said over and over. I need to stop and really try to understand what's being said here. Mike? I think if Jesus took so much time to talk about money, there's a reason why. He could have chose to talk about... reasons <clears throat> why. Are there really? Yeah. Somebody should do a podcast on that. Yeah. You know what? I need to change my title. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> title of the podcast. He could have chosen to talk about a whole lot of other things that many times, right? But he chose money, meaning that we should pay more attention to that particular topic than many other things. Because there are some big topics. <laughs> he, there are a few other things to probably be talking about out there as well. So I think just the frequency of how much he talked about it should tell us the importance that he knew it would have in our lives. Also, how difficult it would be and the struggle that we would have with it. So if you think of a lot of wars and issues and just things around our city, country, world, a lot of them started with or stem from money. A lot of times maybe the lack of it or somebody having it and we don't, so kind of jealousy. But if, if you think of all of the negative that has come from money and will continue to come from money, there's obviously a reason why Jesus said, I probably need to address this a whole lot while I'm down here talking to my people because he knew what those issues would be moving on down the road. I think with money or anything else, when he says, hey, guys, pay attention to this, we probably should pay attention to it. And the fact that he spoke about it so much should tell us that we need to be on guard for it really all the time. I had a thought pop in that God made money and wealth for good. We were made good. We were made in his image. And it talks a lot about working hard and making a living and being paid and honest, you know, for honest work that you're doing and all those things. And it's like, money is no different. Money was designed to be good. And I think he knew that it was constantly going to be a tug at war with, again, as we talked about in the last episode, the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth, desires for other things. It is to get off of the hard and narrow. It's easy to get on the easy and wide. But I hope listeners feel that money is designed to be good in God's eyes for us. And he wants us to use it for his glory, to be generous and steward well what he's given us. And I think you even said, recognize the seriousness of this topic. I think sometimes the more serious things are, it can give off a negative feel. And yes, there are things that we need to dial in on and really focus on, but ultimately remembering that praise God from whom all blessings flow and money is a part of that. And how are we then taking that blessing and using it for the good of his kingdom. So thanks for sharing that. Mike, let's start with you here, your verse here in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity, or in some translations, meaningless. Yeah, for me, a few things stand out. In that verse, it says it will never be enough, Right. So right there, we should say, okay, if it's never going to be enough, then why would I continue to chase? There will never be satisfaction. Another way that it's said, it is meaningless. So if it's never enough and there's no satisfaction and it's meaningless, how much time should we be spending on it? Now, we all need to make money and support our families and do those things, but it's the chasing of the wealth part of this, right? We all need what we need to be sustained. Wealth doesn't mean sustain. Wealth is above and beyond you know, what it is that we need. I often picture people who work incredibly long hours. They are full of stress. They can't give their best to their families. They're gone all the time, but they have really nice stuff or they have a really big lake house or they have five vehicles or, you know, I've met a lot of these people over the years being in fundraising. Those are the people you target, right? Unfortunately, why? 
because they're wealthy, right? But when you meet them and you get to know them as human beings, a lot of times they are some of the saddest people out there. And we all look at them and say, man, I wish I was the CEO. I wish I you know, had all this money and all these things. But ironically, they don't get to enjoy those things or they're not with their family a lot of times to enjoy those things because they're working so hard because they're chasing more money. And it kind of goes back to what you know is being said in this verse. It will never be enough, right? It's the, I have this car, but next year the new one's going to come out or the better one or my house isn't big enough or let's knock down and rebuild. Like all the things we're trying to do with our money, really a lot of them get to just be selfish. And what are we chasing? We're chasing that great feeling, right? He tells us it won't be enough and we won't be satisfied. That's exactly what I've seen with a lot of people over the last 20 years when I go and you pull up to this huge house and you think, man, they've got it all. Like they've got it together. A lot of times that is not the case. And that is exactly what this verse says. So to me, I oftentimes just think of as I've chased this in my own life, right? 20 years ago, starting out, having a family, we didn't have a whole lot. That's for sure. 20 years later, we have a whole lot more. Am I happier because I have a bigger house? No, I'm happier because I have a great family. And, you know, the things that really mean a lot, very rarely is it money. If you're not content, you're not satisfied. I think that's a big part of what you're saying there is if you're always chasing something, what you have, again, if you love money, you're not going to be satisfied with it because you want more. I think that also plays into First Timothy. I think it's the love of money is the root of all evil, which we've talked about on this podcast in another episode. It's not money or wealth that's the issue. It's the love of it. I think that goes in with this verse. We're basically chasing something that we shouldn't be because we're not taking the time, I think, to be content. We're always thinking about what's that next best thing? Where's that next best opportunity? And then I also thought, not really scripture related, but you were talking about people that you were easy to identify, the long hour workers, the stressed, the overwhelmed people. But sometimes those are the people that do make a lot of money because that's what they've been chasing and they just haven't been doing it the correct way. But I actually saw, and it was either, I think it was LinkedIn the other day, someone literally asked, if you're an entrepreneur, how many hours a day are you working? And I just thought, well, this is fascinating. I guess I'll waste three minutes of my life and scroll through this. But I'm reading the comments and it was just so surprising the imbalance that there was. The average had to have been 14 hours a day. One guy said he works 12 hours during the week a day and then two to four hours a day on the weekend. You're never turning it off. You're always in that mode and that's got to have an impact on not only what you're trying to do, but also what else is being negatively impacted. Your faith, your relationships, your health, your sleep. <laughs> I see the next guy, health guys, you should be sleeping eight hours a day. Okay, I'll... A lot of people need to be doing that. But anyways, any other thoughts? I think you're right on. And so, you know, I would say you're chasing all that and working 14 hours a day and doing it for what though? So that you can do what? I mean, because if you don't enjoy it, what's the point? What's the purpose of any of it? I talked to somebody not that long ago and they had four or five homes all across the country. And my question was, how often do you go? Eh, we might make it once a year. What's the point of that? So good for you that you have these huge homes and you make tons of money, but not home a lot. And they don't really go to these places. It's a temporary thing that fills a part of that emptiness that a lot of us feel. It's, I'll buy another house and temporarily maybe makes you feel a little bit better. But as the verse says, they're never satisfied. It's never enough. They've been divorced two or three times, right? Because the chasing of the wealth is creating a lot of negative consequences that you don't want. 
the more you're chasing something, let's say it's like a pay raise. So you're chasing this, you're trying to do all the right things and feel like you should be getting this. And then it happens. It's like how temporary that is. What's next? Where are we taking that next step? Because like you said, it's hard to just be at times content, I think, because it's just, it's a constant battle. The um, chase itself is a distraction. Yeah. You know, some people... Yep. Just love the chase. Because you don't know what it's necessarily doing to you when you're chasing. It's like you think when you get whatever it is that you should have this, oh, now I have contentment. Now I have joy. That's where it's vanity. That's where it's a vapor in the wind. It's it's on to the next thing. Yeah. I've heard wealth described before as a hamster wheel. So it's a journey, but there's no destination because, oh, once I get there, then I'm good. But it's the same hamster wheel. You're running on the thing. There's never a point where you're like, I have enough. That's just not how we're taught really in America. But where is that point where, man, my house is big enough now. You get on the hamster wheel, you never get off of it. And then when it's all said and done, I doubt many people are sitting there saying, man, I wish I would have got a bigger house or a bigger car. Those aren't the things that we regret in the end. I wish I would have made more money, worked harder, those types of things. So if you look at wealth as a hamster wheel, as opposed to a journey, Maybe that will help change your outlook on it. And the chase is taking away from the process. The chase is taking away from the present moment that you're in. If we're constantly focused on something else, like I said before, something suffering. And for me, I'll be honest, it was investment properties for a while. I was going down this path of something that I wanted to do. I wanted to be diversified. I had all these right reasons in my mind which I could justify. And some of them were legitly the right thing, but I saw it taking away my focus. I saw it taking away from my relationships and taking away from my time. I wasn't stewarding any of those things well. And by the grace of God, and I think it's continuing to pour into these types of things, you started feeling that even like the choke on the word or getting off the straight and narrow, you start feeling that change, something's off. That was an example for me of where your mind is, that's usually what you believe and what you value, and that can have good or bad impacts there. Brian, your verse here, scroll through my pages. We're in 2 Corinthians 9. Let me, I'm the holy one right now with the Bible in front of me. So Yeah, I just want everyone to know, <laughs> elephant in the room, Austin actually has a Bible open, and Mike and I are sitting here with iPads. Well, I wish I had more verses memorized like you guys do. My so. Bible app's open, though, so... <laughs> Partial credit. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's flip over here to uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In your notes here, you had a couple observations, Brian, so take it away. Yeah. First observation is God has an equation for giving. And it does not always coincide with our math. God's math is interesting and it's fun to be a part of. In Malachi, God says, test me in this. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. And I have a story later on that I'll tell that kind of reflects on that a little bit. The second observation is giving is an act of praise, not an act of obligation. So Jesus was always going back and forth with the Pharisees. He quotes Hosea, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. And this was a direct rebuke towards the Pharisees who were known as following the law religiously. 
And they were always doing it grudgingly and under compulsion, which is the opposite of the verse that you just read, Austin. They were not devoted to God at all. They were devoted to themselves and lifting themselves in the place of God. So their ceremonial sacrifices were just filthy rags to a holy God. And so God desires all of your praise in all aspects of your being, including your giving. And that's why he loves a cheerful giver. And so a couple other observations with that is that giving reveals the object of your affection. We've talked a little bit about that already, but I think a couple of specific examples when Jesus and the disciples were sitting in the temple and they were observing people giving money into the treasury. And of course, you have people who are giving large sums of money and then all of a sudden there's this poor widow who comes and gives her small two copper coins, which amounts to a cent. And calling his disciples to him, Jesus says, I say to you that this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, which again, math, that doesn't make any sense. But what he was really talking about was her heart. The object of her affection was Christ, was God, was to give all that she had, including everything in her possession to God. I also think of Mary. This was in John 12, I was reading. This was just before Passover, and Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. And there was a supper over at Mary and Martha's house, and Mary took a very costly perfume and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. She basically gave all that she had to Jesus, and people were offended. In fact, Judas said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? And Jesus saw right into Judas's heart, and he said, your heart wasn't to give to the poor. It was for yourself, but let her alone that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor, but you do not always have me. And the object of Mary's affection was Jesus. And finally, giving glorifies God. So if you continue on in 2 Corinthians 9, after the verses you read, in verses 12 through 15, it says this, For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, talking about giving, but it's also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ. And so your giving glorifies God, and it really shows the object of your affection at the end of the day. And so I love the idea of purpose in your heart, what you're going to give, do it cheerfully, and God will bless you. And it's not always monetarily that he blesses you. The story I'll tell will reflect that a little bit, but you will be blessed by God in a way that transcends all of human math, and his equation is just different than ours. Wow, that's a lot of good stuff there, Mike. Do you have any thoughts no, on any no, of that? once or? again, he <laughs> just brought the thunder straight to you. That might have been the lightning this time. It was both. There's nothing else I can say to that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I give him all the rest of my time for this episode. <laughs> Yeah, and giving reveals the object of your affection and giving glorifies God and the purpose of what you're trying to do and where your heart is for that. And those are awesome, just great takeaways there. I think of the different verses that you just 
shared. And even there at the end, when you said God will bless us, and before that you said God desires compassion when he was talking to the Pharisees, that constant pursuit of wanting to know God more and follow his leading for our lives, knowing it's going to be difficult, knowing we're going to have stumbling blocks. But God sees that and he's working in that. I believe we can't have this mindset of, I'm going to do this because I know God's going to bless me, or I'm going to do this because I want something in return. That's not the right posture of our heart either. Well, I think that was the posture of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They gave their tithe, yeah. but they did it because it was all about them. Whereas the poor widow didn't give nearly as much as what they would give, but she gave everything she had because she really truly love Jesus. And they were giving in abundance, which, yeah, you know, you talk right. about sacrificial giving right. and that, but uh, yeah, you can get into the weeds and all the details and it's, what are we doing to glorify God? Because all he desires is compassion, contentment, and the desire to be more like him. How about stories here as we get into the last part of the episode here, stories that you guys have, and then we'll end with the challenge here. But uh, Mike, uh, how about a story about money, whether it's personal work? You've seen a lot of different things in your career, especially with fundraising. I'm, you could probably write a book, I bet. But what's something you got for us? Probably halfway through my uh, career at this point, uh, I was with a nonprofit, but was not a ministry. Uh, it was more health-based. It was kind of decision time. Do I take the next promotion, which would come with a lot of travel and some of those things. And at the time, my three kids were pretty little, so my wife was not for the additional travel. I had something come along and it was ministry. And I thought two things. One, I shouldn't be in ministry. And two, I can't take a pay cut. It was a pretty decent pay cut, maybe 15% or so. And with three young kids, that's not the direction that you usually want to go. But I made the decision to go ahead and get into ministry. And I took the final jump off the cliff when I told HR, hey, I'm out. And I sent in my letter. So there was no turning back, right? I got to that point. And I think it was three days later, the HR person called me and said, oh, by the way, we're an organization that pays out unused vacation time. And I was terrible about taking vacation. So I had a lot of it from the years that I worked there. Just working too much. Yes, you 14 plus hour yes, days. Yes, that's right. So he sent me a check. It ended up being almost to the dollar, the exact difference in my first year annual salary, right? So if you take what I was making versus what I was going to make, it was the difference for the first year. So it was basically a bridge for us to say, okay, I must have made the right decision, but we don't have to take the financial cut that we thought we were going to. So I'm not saying that will happen for everybody, but when I genuinely took a step of faith, that was there for me that I didn't have to worry about it. So that was probably one of the biggest lessons I learned financially is when I truly submit and truly get out of the way and take the step uh, usually the dollars are there. So it, it also is, I think, a lesson to not make decisions solely based on dollars, or in this case, a salary for a job. And additionally, you know, that job that I went to ended up being about five years or so, and it was probably five of the most transformational years in my entire career. The financial stuff was there, but I ended up getting so much more out of that than I ever would have had I stayed at the old job. His provision showed up once I showed the faith and really took the big step. I think your story really illustrates just God's equation. It doesn't always make sense, but when you take a step of faith, that's what this story I'm about to share will illustrate. So before I was ever born, I had a sister who passed away. She was born with severe complications, 
She lived for seven years. But during that time, my parents just had incredible medical expenses. And my dad often tells, and he told this story several times when I was growing up and it never left. They decided for a time to hold back giving to their church what they normally would just so they could have what they hoped would be enough to cover the medical expenses. And about three months into stopping giving to their church, my dad just felt a really high level of conviction about that. And he said to my mom, he was like, I feel like we need to give all of that that we've been holding back from the church back to God. And Mm -hmm. my mom felt the same way. And so you talk about a real step of faith. They don't know how they're going to be able to cover these medical expenses. And now they've got three months worth of giving that they haven't been giving, and they're just going to give back to God. So they do. They take a Sunday and they give everything back to God. And the very next day, they were made aware of a program that they qualified for that not only covered all of the medical expenses, but actually allowed them to save money beyond the medical expenses. Again, totally God's equation doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense in our minds. Save everything back. Stop giving. Stop doing everything so you can cover your daughter's medical expenses. And my parents haven't stopped giving to God since then. I just talked to them on Sunday just to clarify the details of this story. And I'll never forget what my dad said. He said, the blessings in giving to God haven't always been financial like that story, Hmm. but the blessings where we see our kids serving the Lord and our grandkids serving the Lord and just the things that we could have never imagined or dreamed of has been just an incredible life journey for them. And so I always never forget my dad said, don't not give to God. That was his saying growing up whenever he would tell that story. And I equate that then when my wife and I got married and we had just graduated from a pretty expensive Christian institution together and we had racked up quite a bit of debt. And this is funny, but my first job out of college, I made $8 an hour. And so I've got $8 an hour with nearly $100,000 in student loan debt. And I never forgot what my dad said, don't not give to God. That would have been a situation like, don't give. So we didn't. We gave to God. We gave every Sunday faithfully. The church we attended, Mount Pleasant Christian Church, Pastor Chris, it was funny when the offering bags would be passed around, we had to give a standing ovation as an act of praise during that time, which is funny. Seems kind of silly, right? But it it really forced us to be a part of that culture. And so we gave And by God's grace, within five years, we were completely out of debt. Now, there was a lot of hard work. There was a lot of sacrifice. There was a lot of things along the way that the Lord allowed to come into our lives during that time to help us with that. But if I didn't listen to my dad's advice, don't not give to God, I don't know where we would be at this point. So we were faithful in that. And I think God truly blesses that faithfulness. And that equation doesn't make sense sometimes to us, but... If you have the faith to do it, God will bless. And both of your stories there, first of all, thanks for sharing, both of you. And it's I, for me, it keeps going back to these stumbling blocks, these issues of what's preventing us from truly going down that path that we ultimately desire. Both of you had to go through, in your parents' situation and yours, making that change, there were stumbling blocks. There were things that were trying to choke 
from preventing it from happening. I can't take a pay cut or I can't do this or I got to be able to cover these bills. We hear the word, we know what we're supposed to do, but there's things that are holding us back. There's those stumbling blocks. And then getting through those, we see God's faithfulness come through. And I think that's just a source of encouragement for everybody listening to keep going through the process. None of us ever have this figured out. That's part of the reason why I wanted to start this was because to have an open platform for people just to be able to do what we're doing, to have conversation and learn more about it and hear of God's faithfulness through adversity and overcoming odds. As we finish up here, what about a challenge from both of you guys? Is We've talked about a lot. We've talked about stumbling blocks and the equation for giving that God gives us and being content versus always chasing. As you think about what we've talked about, and then again, it's talked about more than anything in the Bible. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I took the approach for couples because for my wife and I, this is what we do, but really challenge couples to pray together about finances and financial decisions. Purpose in your heart, going back to the verse that has really convicted me, purpose in your heart together about what you will give in a cheerful manner. And then make it the first thing that you do when you see your next paycheck. So don't even allow the temptation of having this money to be used towards other purposes. So the very first thing I do when I see the paycheck in the bank account is we give that to the church and we give back to God. And then we've tried, this has been a newer thing for us and we're not perfect at it yet. <laughs> we may never be. Perfection is hard to achieve as a human yeah. being. But we're trying. We're trying to set a dollar limit on purchases that we really pray about before we make the decision to purchase. So right now, our purchase amount is $50. Anything above $50, we mm. will pray together about. We won't purchase until we've prayed and we feel like we've got a good sense one way or another of what we should do with that. And yeah, just some real practical things that we're trying to implement that has helped us in our journey to be financially healthy, but also to really try to make God the object of our affection and our giving. That brought up talking about not only praying as spouses, but also the decision-making on certain financial purchases. I think it was episode four, earlier on, Dr. Randy Schrader was on talking about, he's a Christian counselor with doing a lot of marriage counseling. And when you make a decision, either take three days, three weeks, or three months, I think it was, and you can either put a dollar amount on it or just objectively, this is a bigger purchase, you know, like a house, you know, mm -hmm. maybe you're sitting on it for a year or so really praying about it. Now, some people have to move a little bit quicker than that, but like a vehicle, maybe taking three weeks or three months to really think through that. And yeah. then some of the smaller purchases, maybe three days. And I think the biggest thing there was Let's not make emotional, quick decisions right. on material possessions where I think you even said earlier, Mike, you buy a home and then you know, you're know you ready for another one and you're there once a year type of thing. So just that whole, not only prayer, but decision-making process yep. as well. So thanks for sharing, Mike. I think number one, stop viewing and saying that it's our money. It's not our money. It's his money we've been entrusted with for a relatively short amount of time. And we will have to show what we did with that money. I think we'll be held accountable for that money. We just took all of our taxes in the other day, which is a super fun process to do every year. And they go through everything with a fine tooth comb, right? For the year, as it relates to certain things. I think we're probably gonna have to do that same thing with God at some point and answer all those questions. Are you gonna like what your answers are? And I think if you start to view it as, it's his money that you're borrowing for a little bit and your answers to his questions are, well, I bought a lot of nice cars. And I had a really nice house and my clothes were awesome. And, you know, 
I doubt that's probably what we should be saying in the end. If you shift the view to, am I being a good steward of the money that he's entrusted me with, you will make different decisions financially. Secondly, stop holding on to your money, his money, so tightly that you're missing out on opportunities to be generous. I talked about generosity on the first episode a lot too, but to me, generosity is one of the greatest ways that we can show we trust God's plan as it relates to the money he's entrusted us with. So I want to be able to, when I'm called up, to be able to say I was generous with what you gave me. There might be a verse out there, something about if you're good with a little, you might get a lot. It's something like that. Brian can quote it word for word (laughs) right now. But I think the same is true with generosity. I think the more generous you are, the more generous you'll be able to be. I think he will bless that. Generosity is such a great way to show the joy that you have through Christ. And last year, we did a little challenge, which was, it ended up being very challenging, believe it or not. But, and it was when somebody asked us to give, we say yes. We said yes for an entire year. Now, I don't know if that's the way to go. I don't know if I would necessarily tell other people to do that, but it was fun. It was fun to just say yes and write a check and give because somebody expressed a need. So the more generous that we are, the greater legacy that we'll be able to leave as well. This is something I talk with my kids about a lot, which is why do you have money? And the answers inevitably are, so we can do this, so we can do that. It's so self-centered, most of our answers. What if we started, and I love what Brian said, what if we started with giving? not ended with giving. For most people, giving is at the end if I have some left over. You probably should have a whole lot more left over than what you do. And we would if we viewed it as his money and not ours. I think we would reverse the way that we spend our money and we'd put generosity at the top. If you sat down and took account of how we break things down, instead of I'm going to pay the mortgage first and the bills, I'm going to buy myself this thing, we're going to go to dinner, let's plan vacation. Those are all great things. There's nothing wrong with that. And hey, we got a little bit left. Now let's give that because we're supposed to give. We're not supposed to give. We're called to give and we should make it a great thing. So I think it's just changing your mentality in some of those areas. And I would challenge people to do that. And I think in the end, you will see that generosity will bring you joy, not the opposite. There at the end, when you were saying start with giving, that made me think about my CFP studying days, doing my capstone through Ron Blue's Institute there. And I remember those days. We had some coffee and yeah, yeah, you were, that was rough. (laughs) You wonder what I was putting myself through, but no, it's been a huge blessing. But one of those things in the capstone was going through the Certified Kingdom Advisors information. And it was the uses of money. There's really five uses of money, live, give, owe, owe, grow, owe debts, and owe taxes. So you could really say four, but the two OOs is a lot better, I think. We'll keep it at five. So live, give, OO, grow. And I've done this with some clients too. When it comes to maybe some budgeting is my two go-tos would be look at discretionary versus non-discretionary spending and just get an overarching view of what that looks like. Again, non-discretionary is non-negotiables, your mortgage, utilities, things like that. And discretionary is going to be stuff that the eating out, the movies, the Netflix, things that, and just to let people see a high view of where they're spending their money, where their priorities are. And then the other one is the pie chart. It's the live, give, OO, grow. If you just go through your checking account and see, okay, this is growing, this is going towards retirement, this is going to Kroger, that's spending. And you look at it, unfortunately for a lot of people, giving is at the bottom when you go through that exercise. And it can be a great visual, but a good reminder, what changes can we possibly make that put us more down that path? Brian, you gave an example of, hey, we're going to pray and talk through expenses that are $50 or more, I think is what you said. And just a tangible example of, do we really need that? Or 
can that be used for a greater kingdom purpose somewhere else? And it could be saving it, or it could be something else. It doesn't necessarily have to be giving, but I think the bigger thing there is, like you guys said, giving shouldn't be on the back burner there. So any other thoughts that you guys have? I think what I heard was if you ask Mike Stetzel for money, he's going to say yes. Yeah. So yeah. I'd encourage your listeners to reach out. Yeah. I think uh, I, I do little social media sound bites for each episode, and I think I found one there. So. Stetzel's walking out of the room right now as yep. we speak. Yeah. His cell phone number will be in yeah. the notes and his email address. And uh, For clarification, I did say that we tried that for a year. That year's over. So. <laughs> oh, I thought you said you extended it. Yeah. Oh, okay. no, it's a year that keeps on giving. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Hey guys, thanks a lot for joining me for both these episodes. I know it took some time out of your guys' schedule and oh yeah, lunch or something. So uh, I'll thank, take you up on thanks that. Thanks again. Uh, if, if Mike's not going to say yes this year, I will say yes to, to, lunch. Uh, to lunch. Wow, this is going the wrong direction. Yeah. yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. Love what you're doing with this podcast and yeah, happy to be on. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Thrivent Advisor Network and its advisory persons do not provide legal, accounting, or tax advice. Consult your attorney or tax professional. Representatives have general knowledge of the Social Security tenants. For complete details on your situation, contact the Social Security Administration. Investment advisory services offered through Thrivent Advisor Network, LLC, a registered investment advisor and a subsidiary of Thrivent. Advisory persons of Thrivent provide advisory services under a doing business as name or may have their own legal business entities. However, advisory services are engaged exclusively through Thrivent Advisor Network, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Passage Wealth and Thrivent Advisor Network, LLC are not affiliated companies. Information in this message is for the intended recipients only please visit our website at www.passage-wealth.com for important disclosures. 2300 Reasons Why.